Good morning. The scripture reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Good morning. Two weeks ago, our, our last lesson in this series, we learned about the life of uh, Paul uh, and what an incredible life it was. Here's a person who had a most dramatic conversion, who went from trying to kill Christians to becoming one, and then spent the rest of his life just living that out. As one author says, he moved from being an antagonist to an evangelist. Uh, and what an awesome servant of God. Uh, wrote so many letters uh, that became books, a part of our New Testament. Uh, I want to call your attention to the last uh, verse of the book of Acts that describes for us a little bit about Paul and his ministry. Acts twenty-eight thirty-one. It says in your Bibles, Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great statement? Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want us to see is that later in his life, he didn't just check out or say, well, you know, I've done my time. I'm getting older. My body doesn't work the way it used to. It's time for me to sit back and let those who are younger come along and do their part. What we see him, he's not looking for rest. He's not looking for a retirement. He keeps going. In fact, he's under arrest more of his later in life than not. He's about to face the Roman emperor. And this aging man, Paul, comes to the end of his life and he realizes, he confesses, he openly shares, it's not been easy. In fact, it's been very challenging. And the Bible doesn't give us all the specifics, but we can deduce from other sources that Paul was released for a time, then he was arrested again in Rome, and that last time he was chained, he was in a dungeon, and then eventually executed. But before he died, he would write to these people, these new Christians, these new churches, Sometimes he would write to a group. Sometimes he would write to an individual friend, somebody that's close to him. He's about to leave the scene. He's about to, to, to leave this earth. And he's wanting to make sure that he, he's passing on the torch. And so what's he going to say? What's he going to write? What I want to do is, is kind of take our lesson today, some of his words to Timothy. Timothy was close to Paul. And Paul knew, as we're going to talk about in a moment, that his time of his departure was at hand. His days were numbered. Didn't know exactly, but he wanted to write not just to Timothy, but through inspiration of the Holy Spirit to all of us. Because we've got his words. In fact, in some ways, his last words to Timothy are his last words to all of us. So if you want to follow in your Bibles, open it to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be in that chapter and then on into chapter 4. The verses will all be on this, also be on the screen, if that will help you a little bit. But this is a chance for Paul to talk about some things that mean the most to him. It's time for him to uh, cross over, as we sometimes say. He knows that he's in these final weeks. And what he openly shares is that his satisfaction is not in his surroundings. It's in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's fulfilled because his conversion experience has changed his life. And his confidence is solely in Jesus. And so with the finish line in sight, he gives to Timothy, and I want us to kind of take these personal as well, like his admonition, not just to Timothy, but also to us, four responses. So if you fill in the blank, the first response is this, keep enduring. 
keep enduring, or we might say, keep on keeping on. Paul is writing to his young protege in the ministry, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3, look at verse 10 and following. It's where we begin. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted well, evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Paul really, in a way, is just echoing what Jesus had already said. If you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. It will be difficult. You're going to have trials and tribulations. It goes with the territory. If you stand up for Christ, that may mean that mean at times you're standing alone. But if you go with the crowd or whatever is just popular or politically expedient, it may very well reveal that you're not following the Lord. So Paul tells Timothy to persevere through persecution to follow his example of endurance. And that's why I want to make that a point, to keep on enduring. The trials will come our way, so you keep on enduring. Maybe it's at work. For you, maybe it's at work where you're not appreciated. Maybe it's a situation where you're asked to compromise your ethics, and if you stand up for the Lord, your job may be on the line. Or maybe it's your friendships. Maybe you're ridiculed for your standards. Because again, you're trying to follow Jesus, and those close to you are maybe pulling you another direction. Maybe in a dating relationship. Maybe in marriage. Maybe just dealing with family. I mean, it's Christmas time. That means, that means the in-laws are coming, right? They're going to all be in the same house. You've got to deal with all of that. What he's saying here is the Christian life is going to be tough. Be realistic about that. Know that you're going to face trials. And it shouldn't be a surprise. Because Jesus promised that each of us would have a cross. It was a promise that he made that your trials will come. You've got to deal with that. So keep enduring is number one. Number two, keep studying. You keep studying. You keep reading. You keep thinking Look at 2 Timothy 3, beginning of verse 15 and following. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I draw your attention in verse 16 to that word useful. If Scripture is useful, then the Christian life without Scripture is useless. We've got to be based on Scripture. And the Bible equips us for every good word. He used that word equipped. And I want to encourage you here when he talks about these, these words of teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. That's not for all of them. That's for each of us. You need to be corrected. You need to be rebuked. You need to be trained. All of us need to keep reading, keep studying, keep discerning, keep praying about this. You know, the, the whole year of, of going through the story, the main reason for us doing this is to help all of us not to be intimidated by the Bible. It's a big book with a lot of books in there. And sometimes we forget what's in there. Maybe we've never studied some of those parts. And so we look at that. We don't know where to begin. We don't know the story. And so that's what we try to do is give all of us a, a good overview so we're not intimidated by it. That we can see from beginning to end this common story, the upper story and the lower story, how God, from day one, 
loves His people and wants His people to be with Him. And we see that story just unfolding book after book after book. And so the lesson for each of us today is to know God is still at work in our lives. So keep enduring. Keep searching His Word. And look look in 2 Timothy 4, the first four verses. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in the view of His appearing in kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men, when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So he tells Timothy here, you keep teaching about Jesus. Now realize that Timothy is kind of the young protege for Paul, so he's going to keep on preaching. That's his mentor. So you keep on preaching. So that's the third point. Keep teaching. Keep talking. Keep preaching about it. You know, there's a sense where preaching is done by the preacher on Sundays when we gather for worship. Or maybe teaching is done by the Bible class teacher when we all gather for a class time. But there's more to it than that. There's a broader sense that all of us tell about Jesus. All of us teach about Jesus. All of us announce the good news. I mean, this month we're reminded of the angels sharing the good news of that very first night when Christ was born. Do you remember? Luke 2, 10-11, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So preaching, teaching is not just relegated to when we come to worship. We're in a formal setting. All of us to teach every Christian telling the good news. Jesus said to His followers, You shall be my witnesses. We talked about this a little bit in the sermon a couple of weeks ago on Sunday night. That, that word witness there is from a Greek word, martyrios. We get from martyrios the word martyr. So in a way, Jesus is saying, you're going to be martyred. You are going to die for the cause. This is what He's saying to the men and the women who are there hearing His words. But the French also take a word from that same Greek origin. But the word they get out of it is marquee. The idea is you're going to be a sign. You're going to be a billboard. Like when you drive by a movie theater, you want to see up there the big bright lights. What's playing? What's up? What's the show about? You are to be a billboard for Jesus Christ. You stand out in such a way. So you are to be a witness, Jesus said. Maybe a martyr. Maybe a marquee. Or, or maybe both. Listen to 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I know sometimes we read that verse and we just feel uncomfortable. Am I right? Maybe even guilty. Because you wonder, I don't know enough. I don't know what to say. I don't know the book chapters and verse. Well, let me explain it like this. If I were to ask you, Hey, I'm in the market for a new mobile phone. It's time for me to, to, to change, and I'm trying to figure out what do I want to say. What, what do you recommend? How would you reply to that? Well, let me share this. I do not want you to say, oh, I just love my phone, but let me give you the name and number of the salesman where I bought mine so he can tell you about it. I don't want you to get me a brochure 
or to give me some track that gives me all the fine points about your phone. I don't want you to tell me, well, everybody in your family's got one. Y'all have always had one. It's just kind of what your family does. That's not what I'm interested in. What I want you to do is tell me why you recommend the phone. What do you like about it? Why did you buy it? Why is it worth the money? Why do you stick with it? Tell me your experience. Think about that in matters of faith. Somebody asks you a question, the last thing they want you to do is to go and grab a preacher or somebody else. The last thing they want you to do is give them a track. Here's some points about it. The last thing they want to do is just to hear about your family and that you believed it all your life. What they want to know is your story. Your, ex- your experience. What do you believe? So be ready and willing to share the difference Jesus has made in your life. Talk about the past. What has Jesus done to wipe your sins away? Talk about your presence, His indwelling Spirit, how it helps you every day. Talk about the future. There's no fear in death for those who've been bought. We've got the good news so much to talk about. One of my favorite quotes of all times has been attributed to Francis of Assisi. You know it. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. One author said this, For 30 years, Paul has witnessed and worked throughout the Mediterranean world. He's been helped and he's been hated. He's been assisted and he's been attacked. He's been commended and he's been cursed. And whatever else can be said of Paul's life, it was anything but dull. In fact, everywhere he went, he either started a riot or a revival. And sometimes he started both, enduring imprisonment, anticipating execution. Paul begins by telling us about it. Look there in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Poured out like a drink offering. What does that mean? Poured out like a drink offering. I think we need to understand the context of that phrase. So we can quickly read through it, you know, and not really know what it means. That phrase, drink offering, could be understood by anybody in his day reading. See, to the Romans, there was a part of a, a formal banquet where at the end of the banquet, you would take a cup of wine and sort of at the end of it, and you would kind of pour it out sort of as a tribute, kind of signifying it's done, it was good. And it was sort of a, a, a ceremony that everybody would have been aware of in the Roman world. But not just to the Romans. Even to the Jews. Because all the way back in Exodus 29... There's a detail there about an animal sacrifice. And toward the end of the animal sacrifice, you'd do the same thing, a cup of wine, and you would pour it over the animal, and it would just, just become steam and, and go up, and it would be an offer, uh, an incense, a fragrance to the Lord. So everybody reading that would know what that meant, a drink offering. But notice the timing. It's the end of the banquet. It's the end of the sacrifice. Paul's at the end of his life. And so he says, I'm already being poured out. What he's saying is Roman authorities are not going to take my life. Just like Jesus said, I'm going to lay down my life. Paul's saying the same thing. This is not being captured. This is living life to the fullest like a drink offering. I'm being poured out. So Paul's fourth and final suggestion, keep pouring. You keep pouring. You know, Paul's words were written shortly before his execution at the decree of the Roman emperor. Remember who the emperor was? 
The gear, AD 66, is Nero. We don't really think about that much, that, that Paul's life and Nero's life overlap, but they both lived in Rome. But at the time, everyone was fascinated with Nero. He was new on the scene. He was young. He was handsome. This young, flamboyant leader. Everybody was so enthralled by him. One author said he would have been an astronomical following on Twitter. People wanted to know. His picture would be on the cover of the magazine. In contrast that, you've got Paul, who's not just old. I mean, he's this eccentric religious fanatic who won't stop talking about Jesus. His health is not good. And since he constantly talked about Jesus, Rome did with Paul what Rome did with all the people like Paul. They arrested him, locked it up, left him in prison. So while Paul is there suffering, Nero is just going up and up and up. And people are seeing more and more. They couldn't get enough of him. If anyone were to ask you in that day, who's going to make the greatest impact? Nero or this guy named Paul? Well, the immediate answer would be Nero. In fact, they might even say, Paul who? Who are you talking about? Nero had so much going for him. I was reading a little bit about this, and, and it was quite fascinating. I won't bore you with all the details because Porter's already warned you about that. You know, sermons can go on and on and on. But he was married to Papaya Sabina. I think that's how you say her name. I did some uh, pronunciations through the internet, and I got about five different ones. And so I don't think anybody knows how to say her name. But what they all agreed with, she was beautiful. She was beautiful. So here's this handsome, young, flamboyant leader. He's got this beautiful, blonde wife. And what she was noted for was her daily baths in milk. You've heard of milk bath, or sometimes you've got like the milk products in a bath. No, a milk bath. Nero had 400 donkeys just to keep the supply. So she could have this daily bath. Why? Because Nero wanted his woman milky, I guess. I don't know. But Nero got whatever Nero wanted. One author said this, but in a strange twist of fate, at age 30, she died when she became lactose intolerant. No, just kidding. <clears throat> That's Nero. That's his wife. When Nero was 25, he constructed the Colossus. 120-foot tower, statue. Guess whose picture was on the top? Yeah. By contrast, Paul was described, not in Scripture, by non-biblical first century literature. He was small in stature. Bow-legged. Eyebrow went all the way across. Had a characteristic larger-than-normal Jewish nose. Scars spiderwebbed across his back. Hard life had stiffened his joints. Quite a contrast to this up-and-coming Nero. But Paul knows that if we keep enduring, if we keep studying, if we keep reading, if we keep teaching, keep talking, if we keep pouring ourselves out as a drink offering, we can look back on our life with a contentment and a joy and know you've already won. You've already run the way, won the race. It's just a matter of getting there. Paul says the time of my departure is at hand. 
The time of my departure. That word departure is the idea of setting sail. It's not the idea of ending. It's the idea of the beginning of a journey. The time of my departure. The best is yet to come is what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, this is so good, I hate to leave it. He's saying, it's going to be so good, I can't wait to get there. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm now in the process of making my final offering. It's time to take that cup and pour it out. Dinner's over. The sacrifice is done. And Paul pours himself out as he launches into the greatest deep of all. See, when you die, it's not the end. It's not over. You're really just starting to live the true life that God wants for you with Him forever. Paul says in Acts 20-24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul's looking forward to it. It's almost like bring it on. Which kind of explains, you know, as we've been studying about his life, how he'd get stoned and he wanted to go back in the city. There'd be opposition. He'd say, I want to talk to him. It's like his friends had to say, no, Paul, that's enough. Paul wouldn't give up. Paul never feared death. He wanted them to have eternal life. You want your life to count for something? Do you really want your life to count for something? Follow the Apostle Paul. We can't help as we're reading through this. He was stoned, left for dead, but he got back up, flogged, beaten by rods, shipwrecked. It's almost like you name it, he experienced it. If something bad was going to happen, it's on his resume. Paul was there. But he knows he gets to be with the Lord. That's why he can write, for me to live as Christ and to die, what? You remember? It's gain. It's gain. That was his whole attitude. And what we can determine from writings of early Jewish historians, in short, just after reading, after writing these, these words in 2 Timothy, Paul was beheaded. It really was the end of this life for him. What began for him this dynamic, amazing conversion story where Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, it ended not in a blaze of glory, on a Roman chopping block. That's his life. He died in obscurity. There's no news clip. Nobody's talking about Paul when he died. And while Paul's departure was at hand, Nero is just, again, going up and up and up. Fame, fortune. People were in love with Nero. What amazing contrast. But history teaches us how that just so flipped. In just a short amount of time, four years after the death of Paul, Nero is 29 years of age. He went to a servant's apartment. He was just despondent. He didn't know what to do. I mean, he was just at the depths. He was paranoid. He was lonely. You know why? Because his second wife, the one I told you about, killed his first wife. He became so angry that he kicked his second wife, his current wife, who was pregnant with his child. Killed them both. She had an older child by a previous marriage. So Nero killed him. 
one thing after another, after life out of control in that apartment of his servants, despondent, alone, he took his own life. How many people you know named Nero? How many people you know named Paul? See, Paul's legacy continues. We read his words. We don't name our sons Nero. We name our dogs Nero, don't we? Paul was totally sold out. What I want you to get, when you read through his, his life, these final days, it's not easy reading. It's not really pleasant. But yet, it's so encouraging and comforting because what we know, even in our life, sometimes we're facing challenge after challenge after challenge. See, when we ask about Paul, how did he do it? How was he able to do it? We're not asking an academic question. We're not wondering about, did God miraculously keep him alive? What we want to know is just mentally, spiritually, emotionally, how could he hang on during that time? Because in our own lives, sometimes we're just we're dealing with challenges that They've got us down and we're despondent. And we don't know where to turn. Maybe it's a job. It's just not what it should be. Maybe it's burdens that just keep piling on. Maybe it's relationships that need help. Maybe it's money problems that just keep growing. Our storms are not on a sea because we're on some missionary journey. Our storms are just in life because we live in a sin-sick world and we're doing our best and we just want to hang on how do we do that i think what we need to realize is that we're not alone and no matter what we deal with we can look back first to jesus but then also to paul and say you know as bad as i've got it they had it worse so we're not alone they understand and what paul helps us to see is that the christian life is more of a marathon than a sprint So keep on keeping on. That's what he writes to Timothy. That's what he writes to us. In fact, look at verses 7 and 8. We'll close with this. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. You remember these words? Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. I want to draw your attention to that phrase, but also to all who have longed His appearing. See, Paul is writing through inspiration to Timothy. But with that phrase, there's the hook and it gets us all. For all who've loved His appearing. But this is not the first time this has happened. You remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, at the very end of John, it's when Jesus is talking to Thomas. You know, when He appeared to Thomas and He's talking about, Bless you because you see Me. You remember that? And He makes the statement there in John 20, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Same hook. That's you. That's me. We've not seen. And so as the Gospels are close, closing, there's that word. It's for all of us. And as Paul is ending his life, not just for me, but for all who have longed for His appearing. See, what we know, you've heard this before, in that day, the Olympic Games, the winning athlete would get a crown, a laurel crown made with leaves. It's what you, what you were striving for. But everybody knew that it was just made of leaves. And so it was going to fade. It was, it was going to die. 
But Paul says there's a crown laid up for him that would never fade. A crown of righteousness. And he makes the statement about before the righteous judge, Jesus. Because he knows before he gets there, he's got to go to the unrighteous judge in Rome. But that's not what he's looking forward to. He's looking forward to standing before Jesus. And what he's saying is that all these trials, all these tribulations, all the, anything you experience is going to be worth it. Let me share this with you. Matt Woodley wrote this a few summers ago. I watched our 18-year-old son participate in real X-ball paintball tournament with sophisticated paintball guns that shoot 13 paintballs per second. 13 paintballs per second. The matches are quick and exciting. They're also chaotic. The X-ball concept depends on five players from each team shooting at their opponents and working their way up a large outdoor field. The goal, he says, is to kill, that is, with a paintball, the other team's players so you can capture their flag. But it's not an easy task. The main problem is that in the midst of thousands of flying paintballs, it's tough to spot your own opponents. The other team can crouch and dive behind bunkers and barriers to make matters even worse as your team's, couch, your team's coach shouts the right information about your opponent's location. The other team's fans start yelling false information. When I heard the other fans intentionally confusing my son's teammates, I was shocked. It sounded like cheating to me, or at least incivility. But after, my, after the match, my son calmly informed me, oh yeah, that's called counter-coaching. They're trying to distract our players with false information. It's part of the game, Dad. We just have to deal with it all the time. It just means we have to focus on our coach and block out all the other distractions. Matt continues, the Bible clearly warns us that it's not easy to listen for God's voice. There will be plenty of counter-coaching from the culture, the devil, and from our own distracted hearts. As my son said, that's part of the game. We have to deal with it all the time. And there's one way to combat, combat spiritual counter-coaching. Know the voice of Jesus. Hanging on every word of His written word as we trust and obey Him, even when the crowd tells us to do something else. May I just say, I, I have heard a lot of counter-coaching. Have you? And it's time to stop listening to the lies. It's time to stop listening to the idle talk. It's time to stop giving an ear to rumors. To know the Lord. To know His Word. And to stand on the truth. There are a lot of voices out there. Some of them are intentionally said to deceive. Some are just misinformed and they're just repeating what is untrue. But still, listen to the Lord. Make sure it's His Word. And if you're repeating something, you make sure it's true. And it comes from Him. You keep enduring. You keep studying. You keep teaching. You keep pouring. Because the greatest thing about the Christian life, and this I believe is why Paul couldn't be shut up. Why Paul kept getting up. Why Paul kept keeping on is that the Gospel of Jesus Christ is for 
anyone and everyone. Not just the Jews. Not just for men. Not just for special. Not for those from this race or that race. This country, that country. It's for everyone. And what he says, you surrender your life to Jesus. At the end of the race, you too will get a crown. That's the promise. The good news of Jesus is that He died for your sins so that you can be free, so that you can be washed, so that you can be clean. What He wants to know, and Dwayne hinted at this when he was talking about our comments before communion, are you just trying to obey a command or do you love the Lord with all your heart? Why don't you today confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord? Let Him wash you clean in baptism. Let Him make you a new creation. Give you His Spirit. Don't live in your own strength. Stop listening to all those voices. And just listen to the Lord's. Or if we can pray for you in any way, once you come, we stand and sing to encourage.